Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts 1, we're going to read the first 14 verses. I thought it would be good, since uh, we've just celebrated Easter, to think about some of the implications of the resurrection, and I can think of no better place to turn than to the beginning of the book of Acts that uh, gives us some of those implications, not every implication, but some of those, and I thought it would be helpful to us and encourage us, encourage us as we are seeking to be a church that reaches out and does a better job of, of building up the church in our communities and throughout the world, so... Most helpful here today, hopefully. We'll, we'll ask the Lord to help us, uh, as we asked the Lord to help us earlier. Um, so let's stand together and read Acts 1, 1 through 14, if you're able. Luke writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. You may be seated. Well, as I mentioned uh, a moment ago, of course, last Sunday, Easter was celebrated here and abroad. I can testify. We were able to worship with Naughton Lane Evangelical Presbyterian Church, uh, which is uh, kind of the church I planted. The, it, it was, it's a combination of the church I planted and another local church that merged together and uh, became one church. So it was a joy to worship with them uh, on Good Friday and then twice on Sunday. And we rejoiced in the resurrection, victory over death that Christ secured when he rose from the dead. And today I want to ask and answer the question, what now? What now? What does the resurrection, the fact that Jesus is alive, mean for the followers of Jesus then and today, now? What are some of the implications for us here today? 
Well, as we look at this first few, the first 14 verses here of chapter 1, look what, notice how he begins the book. He begins by saying, in the first book, in the first book. Now that refers to the gospel of Luke. Luke is writing uh, the book of Acts. He wrote the the gospel of Luke. And Luke and Acts forms a a two-part volume. You know, I've often wondered why John is the last gospel. Well, I understand why John is the last gospel. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John was written later. Uh, But it'd be nice to have Luke and Acts next to one another because they're written by the same person, part one and part two. Uh, If I put them on my shelf, you know, I'd put them next to one another if it was anybody else's writings. I wouldn't put something in between part one and part two. But anyway, that's just me. So Luke and Acts forms this two-part work written by Luke dedicated to a person named Theophilus. Theophilus means uh, friend of God. So it could have been an individual. It may have been just Luke saying, if you're a friend of God, I'm writing this for you generally but most likely an individual named Theophilus. But if you, go, if you flip back to Luke chapter 1, you can see uh, the consistency here. Uh, back in Luke 1.1 1, 1, it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So Luke has heard the accounts, he's read the accounts that have been written, he's checked with eyewitnesses who were there, Uh, He has recorded this narrative of the events of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and he ends with the ascension in Luke 24, so that Theophilus, and by extension all who read his gospel, might have certainty about the things uh, that he has researched. He has done all this research. He was a doctor, uh, so he was a scientist. He was thorough. He's checked with the eyewitnesses, and he's written down this orderly, scholarly account of what happened to give confirmation to his readers. Notice how he describes the Gospel of Luke here in Acts 1.1. In the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Isn't that interesting? All that Jesus began to do and teach. He does not say, in the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus did and taught. No, he says, it's all that Jesus began to do and teach. If Luke is about what Jesus began to do and teach, then the implication Luke is making is that Acts is about what Jesus continued to do and teach. Jesus' ministry did not stop when he died. Well, because he didn't remain dead. He rose again. He rose from the dead, and he's still not dead today. He's as alive today as he was when he was born, when he walked the streets of Jerusalem, when he traveled through Galilee. He is that alive Today. And his ministry didn't stop when he ascended into heaven. That's how Luke ends, and we read about he disappears, he ascends to heaven there in the first the chapter of Acts. 
That didn't stop his ministry. Even though he's not bodily present with us, it doesn't mean he's not working. See, Jesus continued to work through his disciples and followers. And he continues to work through his disciples and followers today. He is alive and he's working today. This sets him apart from all the other so-called religious leaders from all the world religions throughout all of history. We took a taxi to the train station on Thursday. We were about 100 miles from London. We flew in and out of London. And so we were heading back uh, to London for our flight on Friday. And the taxi driver was an Englishman. And, of course, uh, we struck up a conversation with him. He was quite chatty. And, uh, of course, he asked all about us, and we told him that we were visiting the church that I'd planted 20 years ago and pastored for seven years. And, and he explained to us that he was a philosophical Buddhist and that, this was, that he was not a theological Buddhist, but a philosophical Buddhist. I'm not sure exactly what the difference is, but he, he claimed that he was one of those. And he was explaining that, and he, he made a statement and said, you know, Jesus and Buddha could have been brothers. And uh, Sarah said, no, I don't know about that. <laughs> but what he meant was that the ethical teachings of Jesus and Buddha would have some uh, things in common. They're similar. But he's making a mistake. He made the mistake that a lot of people today make. Um, when they reduce Jesus' significance to his teaching. Now, Jesus was a good teacher. Uh, he was the best teacher. Uh, There's nobody that was a better teacher than Jesus, obviously, because he was perfect in every way. But his significance goes way beyond that. I mean, yes, good teacher, but not only a good teacher. Jesus was God in the flesh. Buddha was just a man. And that goes for all the other religious leaders in the world as well. And Jesus is alive. Buddha is dead. And that makes him a lot different. He is as alive today as he was when he walked the earth. You can't even go dig up Buddha's bones. They're gone, dust. But Jesus is alive and he's still working. And one day he will return bodily as the two angels told the disciples. He's coming back. Other religions say their founders completed their ministry on earth and they've left behind their teachings for others to follow. Buddha, Muhammad, etc. Christianity says that Jesus rose from the dead, he is alive, and he is still working by his word and Holy Spirit through his representatives on the earth. Jesus is alive and he's still working today. I love what John Stott says. He sums it up beautifully. This then is the kind of Jesus Christ we believe in. He is both the historical Jesus who lived and the contemporary Jesus who lives. He is alive today. Therefore, Luke does not think of Luke, the gospel of Luke, as about Jesus and Acts as about the church. No. Both books are about Jesus. First, Luke, the gospel, is about his ministry on earth, exercised personally. He was there. And then Acts, secondly, 
his ministry from heaven. He continues to work. And it is, his, his ministry is exercised through his people, through his representatives, working by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is why when the disciples asked Jesus, verse 6 there, he says, uh, is, is, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still thinking in earthly terms that he's going to get on the throne of David and be the king of Israel and run the Romans off and do all that. And no, he turns it around on them. You will be my witnesses. You're going to do something. Lord, are you about to do something? Are you about to take the throne and build the kingdom? No, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, all Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. I am going to do my work through you who will be empowered by my Holy Spirit. Well, I want to encourage you with that today, that Jesus is alive and he is still working. You know, we get so discouraged in our day and time as we look around us and we see the decay of our culture. We see the, the rot uh, around us where morals are declining and, and people are, are rejecting Christianity. And it's discouraging. And we think, where is God? What's happening? The church is shrinking. And we think all is lost, but not true. Jesus promised that he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is still working. He is alive and he's coming again. So I want to encourage you with that this morning. Uh, Jesus is still working. And if this is true, then are we involved in what Jesus is doing today? Are we involved in his work? Are we his representatives on earth working in the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, if Jesus is still working, if he's alive and still working, then what is he doing? What is Jesus doing? Now, if Luke was all about what Jesus began to do and teach and Acts is about what he continues to do and teach and we believe that he continues in our day to do and to teach, then we must simply look back to Jesus' life to answer the question. What he began then, he continues. What he began when he walked the earth and what he continued in the book of Acts is what he's doing today. And what is he doing? We see him building his church just as he promised. He's building his church. Our taxi driver said something else. He asked us a question as we were telling him about Presbyterians, which is kind of odd. In, in England, they don't know anything about Presbyterians. You've got to go to Scotland to, to know about Presbyterians. So he didn't know anything about, really, he obviously didn't know much about Christianity either. But uh, he asked us, who is the leader of your church? Uh, Who's the person you look to, you know, as the, as the big dog, as the guy? And, and uh, I'm sure he was expecting us to say something like, well, the Pope or Archbishop so-and-so or some, some human person. But we said, Jesus, that's, who, that's the head of our church. That's who we follow. Um, we can say that because he's alive. And he is building his church and leading his church and guiding his church and blessing his church and equipping his church. He's still doing that today. I love that our confession 
talks about the visible church in this way. This is uh, 25, chapter 25, 2. The visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, which means it's not confined to one nation as before under the law. You know, it's not just Israel now. It consists of those, all those throughout the world that profess the true religion and of their children and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. So Jesus is building his church, his kingdom. And you'll notice here that in these, in these verses that we read, in the first half, he's talking to them, verse 3, about the kingdom of God. That's, that's the subject matter that he discusses with him the 40 days after his resurrection, before his ascension. And they, it's much on their minds. Verse 6, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Yeah, he's about to ascend to the throne, but it's not going to be the throne of Israel. It's the throne of the universe. Uh, he's got bigger fish to fry than just become uh, the king of Israel. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And he's about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And he says in verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. His reign will be expressed through his people as they are witnesses throughout the earth. Jesus is building his church, and he uses his people to do so but he has given the church everything it needs. And that's what he's doing. And I love how our Book of Church Order, now, if you're not familiar with all this, our confessions and such, the Book of Church Order is a document <clears throat> that tells us how we do things, how do we run things, you know, how do we baptize people, how do we, what's the procedure for uh, everything. It's all there, and we have to abide by those rules and guidelines. But the very first thing that is written there is this. Jesus Christ, upon whose shoulders the government rests, whose name is called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of whose government and peace there shall be no end, who sits upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth, even forever, having all power given unto him in heaven and in earth by the Father, who raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all, he being ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things, received gifts for his church, and gave all offices necessary for the edification of his church and the perfecting of his saints. Jesus, the mediator, the sole priest, prophet, king, savior, and head of the church, contains in himself by way of eminency all the offices in his church and has many of their names attributed to him in the scriptures. He is apostle, teacher, pastor, minister, bishop, and the only lawgiver in Zion. It belongs to his majesty from his throne of glory to rule and teach the church through his word and spirit, 
by the ministry of men, thus immediately exercising his own authority and enforcing his own laws under the edification and establishment of his kingdom. Christ as king has given to his church officers, oracles, and ordinances, and especially has he ordained therein his system of doctrine, government, discipline, and worship, all of which are either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary inference may be deduced therefrom, and to which things he commands that nothing be added and that from them not be taken away. Since the ascension of Jesus Christ to heaven, he is present with the church by his word and spirit, and the benefits of all his offices are effectually applied by the Holy Ghost. That's a big mouthful. Well worth a read. BCO, you can see it at the PCANet, uh, PCANet.org website. That's the preface. The very first thing that you get from our Book of Church Order is that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And everything the, head the church has is from Jesus. And if you want to add something from the outside, that's a no-go because this is Jesus' organization that he's building in the world. Now, yes, the church is filled with, with problems, the visible church I'm talking about, you know, what we see out there. There's some corruption. There are false prophets and false teachers, and there's division and all kinds of bad things. But Jesus is building his church in spite of all the difficulties the church faces, in spite of all the sinfulness of the people involved, by His grace and His mercy, He is building His church. The church is, the, the word for church in the New Testament is literally called out ones. Jesus died for His church. He died to, to, to gather people from every tongue and tribe and nation so that they might be cleansed and renewed and made holy so that they could be welcomed into His family into the family of God, into his organization, the church. We are the called out ones. He is alive and he's working. He's building his church. And you've got to care about the church. You know, I've heard people say, you know, I'm not into organized religion. Well, Jesus is into organized religion. He's into the organism that he's created, the church. And you can't just say, I'm not, I'm not going to be bothered with church. Yeah, the church, you know, can be... A, problematic sometimes. But Jesus is building his church. That's what he's doing, and you've got to care about the church. You can't just say, well, I can worship God on the golf course as well as in a church. I doubt that's true. I think that's just a, an excuse. As I said before, golf is a way to lose religion, not gain religion. Any, now, fishing, I could see. That's, you know, <laughs> something like that. But golf, no. It's directly from the devil. So the church, you've got to care about the church. You've got to care about the church being built and strengthened and growing. We've got to care about our own part in the church. Are we contributing to the holiness of the church? Or are we dishonoring Christ and his church by the way that we behave? So you've got to care about the church. And many people, and even Christians sometimes, uh, live their lives as if this life is all there is. They think they, that having a good life is the whole point of their existence. I just want to, you know, gather up as much toys and money, whatever, uh, whatever the world is telling me to do, and that's the point of their existence. The world simply is, and they're simply trying to make the best of it. 
And people like this live their lives without really any reference to God. They may come to church, they may attend, but they're practical atheists. They don't think about what God is doing in the world, what Christ is doing in the world. They don't think about God's ultimate purposes. What is He doing? Now, some people think that God's purposes revolves around them. Uh, they, they, in essence, say, as, as long as God serves my purposes, as long as God makes me happy, I'll pay attention to Him. But if He doesn't, then forget it. But the Lord has a purpose, and He is fulfilling that purpose. Even though He's not bodily present among us, He's working. I talked about verse 1 and that it tells us that Jesus continued the work He began on earth even after He ascended to heaven. Jesus said in the Gospels that He would build His church, and the book of Acts shows how He began to do it, even though He was not physically present. Jesus had some followers who dropped their own personal agenda and got connected to Jesus' agenda. And that's what we need to do. What is, what is Christ doing in the world, and how are we involved in it? And He's building His church. That's what He's doing. How do we do that? How do we become the kind of people who are helping the Lord in His task of building His church? Well, just like these disciples, they had to receive power and be witnesses. They were empowered witnesses. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit fell in chapter 2. At the day of Pentecost, the church received the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying that that we've got to receive the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And we must, and this is where I think we fall short, we must keep in step with the Spirit. We must walk in the Spirit. Shannon will be preaching tonight about walking in the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Don't grieve the Spirit, Paul says. We can grieve the Spirit. We can go against the Spirit. And what is the Spirit? How, how do we keep in step with? How do we walk in the Spirit? Well, we listen to the Word and we put it into practice. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is always pointing us to Jesus and to walk in His path. So to walk in the Spirit just means we don't go our own way. We do what the Spirit would have us to do. And the Spirit is always consistent with the Word. So listen to the Word, not just as information, but as our guide, our, our life, and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. When we're listening to the Spirit by the Word, then we'll always be doing something that brings glory and honor to God. And what does he say? These empowered witnesses. And what is a witness? A witness is someone who's experienced something. They've seen something. They've heard something. Maybe they were bodily involved in something. And they can tell others about it. Has something happened to you? Uh, Maybe the reason we aren't very good witnesses is that we've never experienced Jesus in our own lives. Uh, Do you have a personal relationship with Him? Do you know the Lord? I mean, you can't introduce someone to someone else. You know, I can't introduce my wife to someone else if I don't know her. Of course, I do know her. So I can easily introduce Sarah to anyone because I know her personally. 
But anybody, any stranger in the world, I can't say anything about them to someone else because I don't know who they are, right? Perhaps one of the reasons that we fall short in being witnesses is that we don't know Jesus well enough to introduce him to anyone else. So that's my challenge for you today, to realize that Jesus is alive and he's working. Jesus is alive and because he's alive, you can have a relationship with him. He's not bodily present, but what did the disciples do here? They devoted themselves to prayer. They called on the Lord. They listened to his word. They kept in step with the Spirit. They were empowered. They were walking with the Lord. They were able to tell others what they themselves had experienced. And so that's the challenge for us today, to come into a deeper relationship with Jesus, calling upon him in prayer, walking closely with him so that we can easily tell others. So you can't share good news if it's not good news to you. I mean, if you heard some good news, I mean, they're giving away free money at the bank. I mean, hey, I tell everybody that, that, you know, they're giving away, you know, stacks of cash. You'd share that with others, you know. My team won the championship. You know, you, that's good news for you at least. If you're the right kind of fan, I don't know who you're rooting for. might be bad news for me. But you share those good things that you experience and you want to tell others about it because you're excited about it. So I think sometimes the good news is not all that good for us. We're not excited about what Jesus has done and what he's doing in the world. And so that's our challenge as we move forward getting excited about what Jesus is doing in the world, not being jaded by all the negativity around us and all the decay of culture, but to say, hey, in the midst of all this darkness and brokenness, there is good news. There is Jesus who saves people, brings them new life, the resurrection life, and can lift you up out of the ash heap and set your feet on a rock. There's some good news to be shared. I've experienced that. Have you? Tell someone else about it. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're not sufficient for these things. We fall far short in being your empowered witnesses. We want to go our own way. We don't want to keep in step with the Spirit. Um, we think the Spirit might be a killjoy, or we have idols of the heart that we love more than we love you. Forgive us. Uh, Lord, we, we don't want to speak to people. We're not excited about what you're doing in the world and what you've done for us. Forgive us for our cold hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would change us, stir us up, help us to be shaken out of our doldrums and our mediocrity and our love of the world. And Lord, we are too easily satisfied with lesser things. Pray, Lord, that we would know taste and see that the Lord is good, that we would know the goodness of having a, a relationship with you and to walk with you and to introduce others to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.